Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on 91.3 Sport FM in Perth. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today I'm joined by the regular Tim Cutler and a special guest host. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, regular listeners will notice that your usual host, Daniel Beswick, isn't here, and that's because he's swamped with work doing a lot of stats for the BBL. Uh, so we've drafted in our US correspondent, Nate Hayes, to make his debut on the weekly pod. Nate, nice to hear from you again, and thanks for interrupting your sleep on the other side of the world. How's it going in North Carolina? It's going good. It's uh, it's 2.38 right now um, <laughs> in the morning. So uh, keep the cliches to a minimum so I don't fall asleep. But yeah, it was nice to hear the, the EC deep note when you uh, introduced me there. That was, uh, ooh, I like that. <laughs> Now, how do they say debut in in uh, North Carolina? Oh, here because, we go. Uh, we, we, we've debated this. <laughs> it's it's debut. Oh, so I sound a bit more like Nate. <laughs> I, I don't the know the closest it's you've been to sounding like someone else, it's fine. But, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, young Daniel is just snowed under with his BBL stats. So sorry, everyone, you're stuck with us. <laughs> Yes, that is of course the sound of Tim Cutler working hard up in Brisbane. How's it going, Tim? The insurance world continues. I bet it does. It does, it does. A few storms and fires up here over Christmas, but not too many. But after not travelling anywhere for Christmas and then having Australia Day travel plans scuppered after um, the outbreak of the mutant strain here in Brisbane, it's, uh, it doesn't feel like usual new year of working. It doesn't feel like there's been much of a gap, but, you know, perspective. Going well. Weather's not too bad. Not sweating too much. But in saying that, I would sweat in an ice bar. So you know, I'm 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 comfortable. How are you, Nicholas? Working hard? Yeah, I'm working hard, and I'm sweating quite a lot. It's very hot here in Gosford. Very humid. Uh, so that's not very fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm alright. I've uh, I've been watching that TV show you recommended, The Investigation, the Danish police procedural, mm. um, which I've Oops. I've enjoyed. Um, it's it's restrained storytelling, which I like. It's very um methodical and it, it like you said it's it's very uh, very accurate to what actually happened and and just goes through the whole thing we've I, I was in Denmark when this story was happening so it was it was a big deal and so it's quite interesting to see the kind of the police side of things because you know when I, I was hearing people talking about it, I was like is is this the, a submarine this person was on a submarine <laughs> what what no I, I, without getting too nerdy about um, Nordic noir I thought it was really well done and the way they approach it and the elements of the story without spoiling it more than you already have I think uh, makes for a unique TV glad you're enjoying it but I guess you've got uh, you, you've been turning the um, you've been able to turn the subtitles off and just watching Danish or is it are they hard coded oh well I've been I've been watching with Brooklyn so I've had them on they they're a bit harder to understand I've I've been watching some Danish cartoons on Disney plus uh, which are about my level at the moment <laughs> so that's no <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> Danish cartoons okay well uh... Car- just cartoons dubbed into Danish oh okay, okay. <laughs> oh well, that's much worse yeah. uh, see, see Nate this is what we normally do we just talk about you know television shows especially for Ben Stinger because he loves our, our uh, TV and movie reviews what are you watching at the moment Nate <laughs> uh, I've just been watching um, actually I, I've been watching The Mighty Boosh like, oh, yeah. which is a, an old show I guess it's probably 15, 16 years old by now, but I've just been rewatching that because I haven't seen it in a while. It's so so silly. So I've been I've been enjoying that that goofy goofy thing. Yeah, that's that's bringing back some memories. I, I remember seeing that in in high school. It was yeah, it was, it was quite popular at the time. I'm very speedily googling it as we speak because I've got no <laughs> idea what it is. <laughs> sort of uh, 
like absurd British humor. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's really cool. wacky. They they're all they're like a bunch of people work at a zoo, and the 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 head of the zoo doesn't even know what the animals are called, so he's always describing them in a weir- weird way. Like the long walker is what he call refers to, but the snake as, you know, thing things like it's just it's just really bizarre. <laughs> Shall we crack on? <laughs> Let's. <laughs> Yeah, so last weekend, the UAE played against Ireland in an ODI series, or well, in one game. So we'll start with the bad news, and that's that the rest of the series got binned due to a coronavirus outbreak in the UAE camp. Numerous players testing positive in their Abu Dhabi um, hotel bio bubble and and then being transferred by the health authorities to a a medical quarantine facility. So the, um, the Irish and the Emirati boards got together and, and essentially decided not to play the rest of the series, which is, is quite understandable. But uh, the good news is that in the first game that was played, the UAE pulled off their first ODI win against Ireland um, and only their second win against a full member in ODI cricket. Paul Sterling at the top of the order for Ireland was impressive, scoring a century not out. Andy Balburnie offered some support early but got out slogging. Uh, there was no real um, no real support from the bowlers and the UAE batsmen uh, Muhammad Usman and Chundanga Poil Rizwan uh, both scored centuries and cruised to victory really. Chasing 270, they got their um, only four wickets down with an over to spare. So a very impressive effort from the UAE. A uh, very good batting performance and and a sort of a, a slightly overlooked bowling effort from Rohan Mustafa and Ahmed Raza, who both chipped in with with tidy bowling spells and and of course Raza did the the classic of getting his opposite number as skipper uh, Balburni, who was out um, a bit irresponsible. Yeah, I only saw the, the the early part of that match had other things going going on that day, unfortunately, and, and night. But it's just one of those ones, you know, Paul Sterling. You know, on paper, 131 not out, amazing innings. You know, he scored that at, geez, under under strike rate of 89. I think it's one of those situations where both teams probably didn't know what a good score was on that field and probably thought, oh, 269, is that par, is it not? And then, you know, as you said, they, they really did cruise despite being 51 for three and maybe thinking a little bit little bit shaky and considering none of the, I think the UAE batters average over 30 in, in ODIs, I might be uh, corrected there, but um, with... Um, and without Shazad being picked, he's the only other UAE player. I think he averages up around 40, but no, did really well. I think you, you, you nail on the head there. The key spells there were the 20 overs from the, the two senior spinners with uh, with only 90 runs coming from those 20 overs. Um, but you just look at the, at the other end, and when you mentioned Balboni getting out, out slogging, he 53 off 61. Again, that wasn't that quick either. So it just sounds like although Sterling had anchored at one end, there was nobody at the other end that came in and really got things moving. So that is probably what Ireland will look back at, uh, which, which costs them. And and there as well, you know, some of the key bowlers, you know, both openers for, for Ireland when it over run a ball, I mean, key bowlers like that that are going for that many. You know, even Andy McBride, who's normally really miserly, still went for almost five and a half. And when you're defending just over five and a half and over, that's not enough. So that was telling and really promising from the UAE. And, you know, to see, you know, to have their 35-year-old debutante Kashif Dowd come in and um, and bowl quite well as well, I think that's, uh, that's quite promising. Like who knows how, how long his body will hold up and he'll be able to play. But, you know, I guess only coming into international cricket at this age, I know he did play some decent cricket back in Pakistan before moving to the UAE, but, you know, he's going to be very handy in this in this cycle leading up to 2023 at least. Yeah, the UAE, they, they have this sort of production line of, of talent coming through, which is, um, it, yeah, because of, 
you know, the, the, the unique cricketing situation there with uh, the majority of the population being uh, you know, migrant workers um, and, and the cricket scene reflects that. So the, the, there's always these guys coming in and out who you, you haven't seen before, but then they're just slotting straight in at the, at the top level and they're, they're looking at home. Even, you know, uh, Muhammad Usman, he's been around a few years, but he, he only he didn't start that long ago. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, at the, the 2019, geez, yeah, well... Over, over a year now, yeah. Um, at the 2019 um, Global Qualifiers for the T20 World Cup, Mohamed Usman um, put Canada out of the tournament with a, a fantastic 89 not out. Um, so he's he's shown his worth um, a few times. But he, yeah, a lot of these guys have kind of underperformed or as you said, you know, they're, they're not... They're not um, haven't got great records, but you know, uh, Robin Singh as the new coach has come in and uh, he's continuing the the rebuilding work that uh, that Dougie Brown had started. He's got a few of the younger guys um, like Alishan Sharafu making their making their debuts as well. So yeah, I, I think there's there's good signs coming up for the UAE. How many times is Sterling, you know, the the guy that shows up? It just seems seems to be so common where he has a big score and everybody else kind of just doesn't show up that day you know yeah they are they are quite reliant on him and and balboni you know those two if if they get going like like against england anything's possible but you know a lot of the time if they don't score big then no one else has has been able to stand up yeah and especially with kevin o'brien opening now which i, I love that's a real mm. positive um move that i think that first started in the t20is and that's carried over into the one day internationals but i really like the the impetus that brings to the innings, and he was looking in great form. Um, you know, I think he hit three fours in in one over um, from Sahul Khan. It was this really strong breeze for those that didn't watch, sort of blowing across the field, and it seemed that uh, Zahul anyway was really struggling with with his consistency, like one short and then one a half volley, and, and O'Brien was just uh, was dining out there. But yeah, well, once he goes, you know, as you said, behind Sterling and Balburnie, it's I, you know we've seen elements we've seen flashes from from you know harry tector's a young man earning his stripes Lorcan tucker similarly with his talent but um it's almost one of those ones you know do you move kevin o'brien down the innings for, for insurance and at what cost um to be down there i know that had similar situations in, in teams that were quite thin on like that and it's tough to know where to put your key your key bats but um yeah well you know, <laughs> one day Ireland's uh, beating England and uh, just great to see the the balance really, isn't it, in, uh, in world cricket to see this type of performance from the UAE and an associate at that. Yes, and uh, Nate Hayes uh, filling in for Daniel Beswick. You have some interesting information about the parity cycle that uh, Bez is working on um, and another project from one of our friends, Tom Grunshaw, referred to as The Belt. Can you tell us a bit more about that? All right, so... Um Tom, uh, first of all, thanks to Tom for this content. He it must have taken him forever to put this together, but uh, basically he he's treating uh, one day cricket like it's uh, boxing. So if you beat the champion, you become the champion. And so he made a he made a list, uh, uh, a spreadsheet of all of all the champions and how long they held it, how many days they w- they held it, and how many games. So interestingly, I just kind of like looked at it just since 2017, since we're talking about parity here. So, so since Pakistan held the belt for 213 days from two, 2017 until 2018, it has changed hands 16 times. So that's 10 different teams that have uh, held the uh, the championship. So basically, so following right now, where we are right now, following the 2019 World Cup, 
England held the belt for 219 days. South Africa beat them and then held, and they held the belt for five days before England won it back. England held the belt for another 177 days until they lost to Ireland. Ireland held the belt for 157 days before losing to UAE. Now UAE won the belt for the very first time. So uh, since 2017, it's changed hands, like I said, 16 times, four times to England, twice to New Zealand, twice to Afghanistan, twice to Ireland, once to India, once to Australia, once to South Africa, once to Pakistan, once to Scotland, and once to UAE. Sri Lanka hasn't held the belt since 2014. West Indies hasn't held the belt since 2013. Bangladesh 2011, Zimbabwe 1999, and Kenya 1998. And the longest streak in ODI history is 834 days by the West Indies, September 1973 to December 1975. And in games, 12, uh, once by Pakistan in 2007-2008, and once by Australia in 2009-2010. So to win the belt, you have to beat the reigning champion... But it's also, if you win the World Cup, the belt resets. That's right, isn't it? So every World Cup. Yeah. yeah. So the belt does move hand-to-hand until the end of that World Cup. So that's just to put that in context as well. But uh, no, we've had a couple of associates with the belt all the way back to 98, wasn't it? When uh, when Kenya beat India in that, that tri-series they uh, they hosted. So I, my, my question is, uh, if there's going to be a belt, do they have to bring out the belt? And does the captain have to wear it during the game? <laughs> is Ahmed Raza now have to wear a leather belt? With a huge gold over yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, and if it's anything to do with world cricket and uh, well, Indian cricket as well, you know, there's going to be a lot of gold. It's going to, got to be a, and you got to hand it to the umpire when you bowl too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want to. I, I, maybe I brought in the uh, facetiousness a little, little bit earlier there, but that's what I just imagine with the uh, with the belt. So basically, the UAE, the world champions of world cricket at the moment in in men's men's ODI cricket. That's right. I think I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, yeah, we can all agree. So they're the third associate. Um, after Kenya, when Scotland beat England, and then that. That's pretty cool. That's impressive. And Mr. Grunshaw, the man of tournament formats, has now brought this as in the, the belt. So I think uh, once Bez is out of his, uh, oh, I don't know, his BBL basement doing <laughs> um, doing stats, and he looks at the parody cycle again, the problem is when there's a, oh, this isn't so much a huge upset, I guess, because they've, you know, Ireland are a, a former, closely former associate, and they would have played against a number of teams. But when there's an upset like this, it doesn't necessarily reset because, you know, Scotland beating England, will they have played enough teams up around England that have played, you know, that have that England have beat or that have beat Scotland? That, uh, But I guess their time in the World Cup would do that for a parody cycle. But uh, no, excellent work. I think we might. It's always almost worthy putting on the website this, just having the... Um, Having the belt updated, it's going to be a new ranking system. It can't be any worse than other ranking systems currently in use. Yeah. <laughs> in other news relevant to the UAE, uh, we've seen Dougie Brown, former head coach, move to Karachi as the assistant coach at the Karachi Kings franchise in the PSL. Uh, he'll be working under Herschel Gibbs, the head coach there, and he's been getting straight to work with the draft taking place on the 10th. Tim, this is a good move for Dougie Brown and um, a bit of a coup, I think, for, for Karachi, really. He's, a, he's an excellent coach. Well, yeah, you know, everything that we saw and had heard of the work that he'd done with the UAE men's team. Um, he was only working with the men's team as opposed to sort of across all the programs, but um, was was great. You know, we brought together that that team really well that got torn apart with the, the fixing scandal, unfortunately. And then even so, even with those players 
missing. They were just that one game away from the World Cup. So we've done that to get to that playoff against Scotland. Remember, Scotland almost, well, I don't say didn't, almost didn't make it because they got in a, <laughs> into a knockout and won it to get there. But um, that could have been very, very different with, if, if Scotland didn't get through that match. And just look, I, I think a lot of the cricketing world was really surprised when he was released, his contract wasn't renewed, or at least he, he was fired. I think that None of it was ever really announced, only that, that um, the UAE, on the same day as announcing a new sponsor, it also announced that Robin Singh was coming in as head coach, which, again, to me, was a was an intriguing decision in that, you know, Robin Singh works for three, or two months a year with the IPL, with, with the Mumbai Indians, um, owns his own academy in the UAE. I guess that's in the UAE, but that might be shuttered as far as we're aware. And, you know, I, I don't think being, a, being an associate head coach seat these days is a part-time job. It might be, you know, if you go away for one or two little small T20 gigs. But anyway, by the by, I think this is this is great news for, for Dougie. And, you know, the PSL's up there in terms of strength and hopefully exposure for him. And who knows what else will uh, will come up for him around the world. I know he was working with some some academies in, I think it was in Abu Dhabi. So he was definitely in, in and around and working with some good players and, and still there. Yeah, next we just need uh, PSL to, to pick some associate players next. Well... Yeah, that was disappointing, wasn't it? With all the players that were... Or I don't know whether there's an element of reticence to picking players from certain nations that they might not be able to get out of there because of COVID, especially players in the, in the UK if you've got Scottish players. But yeah, to see not one associate nor Zimbabwean nor Irish picked, you know, someone like a Paul Sterling Raza from from uh, Zimbabwe, again, I, I think could be, you know, very valuable in uh, in franchise cricket. I, I don't know if there's there's some, there's some method to the madness or, or what? I, I think it's just the the thing of, you know, they're from these uh, lower-ranked countries and nobody trusts them to be any good and it's it's disappointing, but we've, we've seen it a lot and um, it just doesn't seem to be changing very quickly. Yeah. Oh, well, look, we can scream till the cars come home, I guess, but, uh, you know... Cometh the days when linked to uh, funding to these countries for them to host these tournaments, they must have re- reserve spots. But but it was great for Afghanistan to see, what was it, six of their players selected and a couple of young guys as well coming through. So on one hand, it's not, not great for emerging cricket, but then from an, an Afghanistan point of view, that I think the, the, the spotlight is very much on, uh, on that conveyor belt of, of spinners coming through the, the, um, the Afghanistan domestic scene. Now... Staying in the Persian Gulf, some big news that we've seen uh, this week as well was that Oman is set to host Test Cricket with the academy venue in Al Amarat being accredited by the ICC. Uh, this is ahead of Afghanistan hosting uh, Zimbabwe in a, in a Test Series. So this is going to be just the fifth time that an associate has hosted a Test match. Um, the other times being uh, Bangladesh uh, in hosting the Asian Test Championship final in 1999, Ireland's women hosting Pakistan in 2000, the UAE hosting Pakistan and West Indies in 2002, and the Netherlands hosting South Africa's women uh, in 2007. Now, Tim, obviously it's a big step forward for Oman's facilities and, and a big tick for the, you know, the great complex that they've got there, but you know, do, do you think this will help boost the sport in Oman or is it just going to be another UAE situation where you know, the, the locals don't really pay attention? Oh, look, we know Afghanistan and Pakistan before them uh, with their struggles to, to find hosting uh, solutions and with Afghanistan being helped out by 
by India and having facilities provided to them and none of these things are ever free, but having that provided, if, if Oman are there and able to present an option that works out financially, then I think Afghanistan will take it. And having a high-level cricket and then having the chance for their cricketers just trained alongside. Now we've heard Ahmed Raza talk about his time training in the IPL. You're going to see the same thing with Oman's players being able to train with and play against um, Afghanistan as well because, you know, all this time with countries in your your nation playing against each other, you know, the, each of these times you'd be trying to get in for a, a triangular series or a couple of one-dayers or T20s either way. So if this is going to to be a regular thing for Oman, then it'll, it'll be great. Um, I know they work very hard in trying to get uh, the game growing um, locally there. And I think, you know, behind the scenes, they're thought very highly of by the ICC development team. And as a, um, you know, if we're talking about test or full member nations of the future, Oman are a country that gets brought up. Um, you know, they, they don't have as much pizzazz, if you can put it that way, of a, of a Nepal um, or a, a USA or indeed the... Uh, the population of, of Nigeria or Brazil or someone or even Indonesia to, to perhaps support some of like this, but they've definitely got the infrastructure. And I mean, from a business point of view um, and some very well-connected people um, running the game. So this is a huge tick to me for Oman and, and the experience that they'll get the sort of the pointy end from a high performance is, is definitely going to help them. Yeah. I think um, this is just another example of why it's great that they all can practice together so easily that they're all right there amongst each other uh, so that, it, you know, at a moment's notice that so they can do something like this and take full advantage of it. You know, I, I mean, that's that's got to be an excellent advantage for them. Now, looking at these other uh, test matches hosted in associate countries, I, I think obviously the two that stand out to me are the Ireland-Pakistan women's game where the Irish beat them by an innings and the Netherlands uh, versus South Africa game. Now, that Irish game is interesting because we saw Izzy Joyce uh, take 6 for 21 to, to, to bowl Pakistan out and, um, you know, there was, there was uh, obviously the Irish men's test that happened a couple of years ago and, and that was, um, you know, a wonderful occasion, but the, the Irish women had beaten Pakistan um, at, at the turn of the century and, and I, it sort of goes to show how, I don't know, underappreciated women's cricket is and you know looking at Netherlands playing against South Africa that's the sort of you know in women's cricket that that would never happen these days and it's it's a real shame that test cricket for women has become almost exclusively um the preserve of of England and Australia you know even India they they haven't played a women's test match for years um so which which is quite disappointing and and um, I know, Nate, you and I, we were talking about this on, on just, just messaging that it, it's such a shame that, you know, multi-day international cricket in associate cr- cricket has almost vanished and, um, you know, it, it's the best format. Yeah, I, I don't know how many times uh, me and you or, or me and Tom have talked about multi-day uh, games. You know, I, I think about it all the time with, with the Americas uh, region, just uh, USA, Canada, just that series by itself has has serious potential, especially in my opinion, I, I would love to see some multi-day games between the two teams, uh, re- restoring the Audi Cup and just doing it every year. You know, we're all, it's it's the same hemisphere, so you, you don't have to wait 18 mo- months like uh, England versus Australia. You, you just alternate every other year. So it's, it's to me, there are little pockets in the country where they could really build a, a little 
community that they could have uh, something like that every single year. Uh, that would be amazing. Of course, you know, it's expensive and it, it, it doesn't fit in with the, with USA's mission right now. But 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 imagine that and, and Bermuda too. Just throw throw that in there. That I would love to see like a, a, a league, a multi-day league between the three teams. Uh, it's definitely something that we talk about a lot. You know, it's it would be it would be fascinating really. And, you know, you, you talk about it being expensive. I, I don't think, you know, the Netherlands playing against South Africa cost a million euros or, or whatever the figure that, that Ireland has quoted for for their test matches. So, there are there are savings to be made, especially in, you know, if, if they hosted it at, you know, in Morrisville, for example, it wouldn't necessarily have to cost that much. Um, and, you know, it, especially if it wasn't a, a test match and they didn't have all the, um, you know, the ICC requirements for, for that. But, yeah... I, uh, it is. It is disappointing. Just just on that Netherlands South Africa game, though, it's a, a bit of a statistical anomaly because the South Africans that they won in the end, but it was arguably one of the most uh, dreary uh, matches in in uh, in Test history. They posted two thirty two in in eighty seven overs for their first innings, which is you know it's it's a little on the slow side. But then the Netherlands got to one hundred and eight. Uh, bowled out from 123.3 overs, which is a run rate of 0.87. And that, by some margin, is the slowest completed innings in test history. The next closest being 0.96 run rate when New Zealand was uh, was bowled out for 26 in 27 overs by England in, in 1955. And, and then um, the only other time that the run rate was below one in, in test history was uh, the 2000 uh, the 2015 blockathon with with South Africa against India where they they couldn't quite salvage a draw um, so you know 43 of 297 deliveries for for AB de Villiers that's that's amateur numbers when you compare it to Violet Vattenberg with uh, 49 of 378 deliveries or you know 34 of 117 from Bavuma well known for being doughty but uh, you know Marcia Costa got uh, 29 of 178 so yeah the, I, I don't know what was going on it was probably uh, one of those um, very damp Dutch wickets but yeah the 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 Dutch batters uh, really took their time. South Africa managed to get to two for eighty-five in the second innings, and and they skittled South Africa for fifty in the, in the second dig as well. So they they couldn't repeat the blockathon, but yeah, it's definitely historical. How many tests did the Netherlands women play? I, I believe that's the only one ever. Okay, but it, it also it it goes to show that you know not that long ago, um, at least in women's cricket they weren't so precious about test status and, and, you know, an associate could play a test match and it wasn't ruining the, the sanctity of test cricket or, or whatever is... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe the attitude where the Netherlands could play South Africa in a test match, I think maybe we could go back to that. That would be a, a good move. Yeah, well, I think you guys mentioned it before about the cost um, and the... What did it cost Ireland to run their test? Was it half a million? I, I think it's a million euros. Yeah, and that and that's all broadcast and quality of broadcast what's determined that has to be at that level um, and that's not even including any kind of DRS system I think all they had that that test was uh, the third umpire for runouts and stumpings as I remember so that's not even taking that into account so if you, you pull that away you know is that the sanctity of test cricket that that's required so I think there's questions to be asked here if countries were able to put it on and able to foot the bill but I guess we've had this conversation before haven't we about the demise of the Intercontinental Cup which of course was the the eight team first class tournaments for associates it used to sit as part of well side by side with the 
World Cricket League, which has now been replaced by the Cricket World Cup League system. I guess it would it would be a fair question to almost a review question to the ICC as, as they look back and see whether they're happy with the development of those, especially those leading associates playing that much ball white ball cricket rather than, than first class. Because I think that that's, for a lot of those countries, it's the only multi-day cricket or the most multi-day cricket they would have been playing with very few countries now having those multi-day comps in the, in the country. So it's a fair argument. I, I, I was surprised that you only mentioned Tom there, Nate, when it's uh, normally Rod that's... Um that's louding the uh, the multi-day international. Uh... Oh, he's yeah. I, I was I was just thinking about that. I, I love his 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 pieces about that and how how what 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 uh, constitutes a test should should we should it be five days or should you should you count other multi-day games and you know he's he's definitely right on there. I I think multi-day cricket is great regardless of how many days it is in in my opinion. Now, still on women's cricket and the scheduled series between Namibia and Zimbabwe has been called off. That was due to happen between the 11th and the 20th of January in, in Volfus Bay in Namibia. But unfortunately, due to uh, the strict lockdown in Zimbabwe and, and you know, rising cases in Namibia of the coronavirus, uh, the, the series has just been... Uh, well, they, they say it's postponed, but, um, you know, <laughs> there's no... Um, there's no forthcoming date as to when it will be uh, when it will be played. But in some slightly better news for women's cricket, um, Shane Dietz has moved to or is moving to the Netherlands as the women's coach. Now this comes after his stint in Vanuatu as CEO, but he has had experience coaching women's cricket before, uh, having having been um, in the, in the job for Bangladesh uh, before his time with with uh, Vanuatu and. Uh, coming from the other side of the world into Vanuatu is Jeremy Bray, who's uh, moving from the Danish head coaching job into Vanuatu. So, Tim, what do you what do you think of these movements? Well, I think, like you said, people might think that uh, it's a funny move from from Shane Dietz, but he actually played in the Netherlands. Geez, I think must be I'm trying to think how old he is now. He would have been in his uh, mid to late twenties when he was. So he played Sheffield Shield cricket. Don't forget for for South Australia, and so he was the overseas pro for a couple of seasons in the Netherlands, and his and his wife is also Dutch, so I think it worked out really well. I think um, that had been something they'd been looking at for a while to to, to see what the options were out there. And I think this is a great meeting of the minds for you know I think he's done really good things there as player, as a coach, high performance manager, and now as CEO of Vanuatu to to move to the Netherlands, which I think we, we all agree needs a really strong coach there to lead the, the women's program there because the opportunities there are huge. And we've talked in the past with Paul Van Meekeren about the chance of, of players sort of swapping sports and coming across to cricket and even more so if cricket's included in the, the Olympics, there, there's going to be a huge opportunity there for the women support there for the Olympic movement there and then Jeremy Bray you know it's it's one of those those names you, you, you know you've seen it somewhere but you're not quite sure it's because he's been everywhere he played under 19s for Australia then uh, moved to Ireland I'm pretty sure just as, a, as an overseas and stayed there ended up playing for Ireland um, in that famous World Cup where they, they moved on to the to the um, the Super 8s yeah scored a ton in the tie against Zimbabwe yep and, and then moved into coaching um, where he did some coaching in Ireland before moving to Denmark. So I think it was in the um, in the Danish press release. He's re- returning to the the antipodes. It's like ah, oh, jeez, you know, like we're not upside down. That's not the way it works. But anyway, so he's um, he's he's moving moving back. So look, Vanuatu, lots of talents, lots of opportunity there. I think um, what do they say five percent of the country now play cricket. You know the the amazing. So yeah. the um, yeah. 
so the numbers that they have, juniors, women, and, and men, so it's great. And then they're on the lookout for their next CEO as well. So who knows whoever comes in there and the ideas that, that they bring. But um, like I said, lots of talent. It's um, just how they can harness that. And let's not forget on the men's side, there's that golden ticket that comes out of the East Asia Pacific with PNG getting a, a free pass at least to the next global qualifiers or for their sake, if they get through to the, the main rounds of the World Cup, they'll go they'll go through to the next one. But that means that there's a, a qualifier spot coming out of East Asia Pacific that would have normally been taken up by, by PNG's the strongest team in the region. But now when that qualifying tournament comes up in, in Japan in uh, 2022, early 2020, or maybe late 21, um, uh, it's probably late 21, you know, but this is going to be a huge event between, well, between Vanuatu and, and Japan, really, for a spot in the global qualifier. So with Jeremy Bray coming in, I'm sure that's going to be front and centre of, of his his focus and of course there's the challenge league as well that's important uh, for funding and for opportunity too so no, i think this is exciting news but like anything happens you know people start moving around there's sort of gaps you know denmark are, are um, advertising for their high performance manager and head coach and who knows where that person will come from you know after um seeing um, who didn't get the job in nepal you never know that the, the names who might come up um, looking to move to to denmark mm. Well, yeah, it would be great if they could if they could scoop up Hubadu now that he's uh, he's not been claimed by Nepal. I know uh, a lot of people there were pretty ho- hopeful that he would go there, but yeah, I think he he would help help anybody anywhere he he goes. He has a great way of of uh, building a team a team culture and um, you know getting everybody on board, and he does it really quickly. So I think any associate could could use that. That's that's a huge part of I think associate cricket. Yeah, Hubadu is the uh, the associate super coach. Um, Tim, you mentioned uh, Paul Van Makeren and, and his interview where he talked about the Olympics. Now, m- moving on a little bit, uh, Ghana, according to reporting from George Dobell in, uh, in Crick Info, is uh, looking to host the African Games in 2023 and include cricket. Um, so, the, the Ghanaian uh, Cricket Association has been touring their facilities to the event organisers and, and the report... Um, indicates that the response was was positive. Um, now this lines up with uh, with what Will Glenwright was was talking about when he came on the pod about how you know they're looking to get multi sport games happening for cricket and and the, obviously the African Games in 2023 is a, a pretty big event on the continent. So having cricket in those games would be a, a great coup for for cricket. And um, again, it, w- it would be obviously the Olympics is the um, pinnacle of, of multi sport games, but you know the regional games are, are worth worth trying to get into as well absolutely and this stage i think it first broke crick info with um george dobell i don't know if he listens i hope he does uh he definitely follows us on twitter so he must be listening <laughs> um but yeah talking about the, the fact that the, the the icc um along with the, the ghana cricket association well and the ghana ministries of sports met with the organizers so I, I don't think it sounds like anything is set in stone um, but with cricket coming up in the Commonwealth Games in 2022 and with all the talk around 2028 for inclusion in the Olympics in, in Los Angeles, that can only help these these conversations. So, you know, the other two bidders for the, the African Games were Nigeria and Burkina Faso. So great when you got the, a couple of cricketing nations there at least. You know, Nigeria I'm sure would have been keen as well considering all the, the investment they're putting into facilities in the game too. So we can only hope this turns out not to be just a report that uh, – that it does come true. So you know, with cricket being back in the in the Asian Games, uh, Hangzhou in 2022 due to have cricket again. Although we haven't seen any news recently about about facilities being constructed there, but 
as far as we're concerned and as far as we've, we've seen from the from the uh, the Asian Olympic I should say the Olympic Council of, of Asia cricket's gonna be back in so no this is this is great news and of course, one of the countries that would benefit quite a lot from in Olympic inclusion, um, and in, indeed it's part of their development plan, is the USA, and, and especially with uh, 2028 being reportedly the date that cricket and the Olympics allies uh, within the ICC are, are targeting. You know, Nate, you've been watching the Americans' uh, cricket season over the last year or so. You, you, uh, you've, you've watched their minor league cricket uh, exhibition series and you've got a couple of pieces coming up about what's next. So run us through you know, the year that was and, and the year that will be. Well, you know, of course, there was that, that famous loss in February to Nepal <laughs> yes. where they just got smeared. The, the, whole, the whole tour was really rough. You know, it's, so that was not a great way to, if, you have, if you're going to go a year between games, that's not a great note to, to leave on. But plenty of things have been happening in the country with cricket, uh, especially domestically. Uh, which is a which is excellent. You know, we talk a lot about um, franchise cricket versus international cricket, but but um, really, to me, I think obviously a, a strong domestic system is is super super important. Yeah, you look at all the franchise leagues and how many how many professional op- opportunities really are there for cricketers in the world? There there really aren't a whole lot. We, we talked about PSL not drafting any associate players. And uh, it's just the same guys being recycled all the time, you know, for, for the most part. It's kind of like the haves and have-nots. Have and so, you know, the big three um, are kind of a little bit uh, immune to that more so than the other nations because they have a very strong domestic uh, product at home. And so the, the minor league cricket hopes to, hopes to fill that gap. So, so that they had their exhibition season this, this early, early fall. And, um, we've talked about it a lot. It's famous. Famously, there were a lot of bloopers with the, uh, with everything, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but it's, it shows some promise, I, I believe. Um, especially if the owners of the teams stick to kind of stick to the idea, which is, Give give the younger players a lot of chances. We know Ace, um, who 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 owns Major League Cricket and Minor League Cricket. Uh, we know that they're they're building the academies around the country, and um, you know some some new uh, turf wickets did go up around the country. Uh, clubs usually put those in with some guidance from from what I've been told with some guidance from Ace. But the, a couple of those have sprung up this year. So it wasn't just a it wasn't a dead year altogether, and, and I do think it the minor league cricket does does show some some potential, especially because it 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 just it gives a measuring stick for people, especially as the as the turf wickets come in and as everyone starts p- playing on turf in in what I've been told two years time two to three years, uh so so once that starts to happen, I think I think we're going to see a lot of. Uh, uh, I, I think it's going to take off a little bit there. It has every re- every reason to, I, I believe. But I, I talked to recently, uh, I'm writing about the, the U21 players in the minor league cricket. I'm, I'm compiling a U21 kind of all-star team. Some of the teams did an gr- excellent job. They're supposed to play a certain number of U21 players. Well, the, most teams didn't even average that many. Um, but, but some of the teams really did an excellent job. Uh, one of those teams was the East Bay Blazers, uh, which, with, uh, Rusty Theron as the, as the captain of the team, um, them Morrisville and, uh, Irving, Texas were the three top teams in terms of playing the younger players. And they, they all got great results from the younger players. So that's, 
you know, we talk a lot about players coming over from other countries here to, and, and the worry is that they're going to take over all the chances, all the good chances. And, and, you know, they, they, that might happen. But in the meantime, uh, talking to Rusty uh, recently uh, on the phone, you know, he, he's worked a lot with those, with those young players as coach, as a coach when they haven't had their games and, you know, some of the best performers in the league were, were the U21 players, not just U21 players, but some of the best overall performers in the league were U21 players on that team. And they got a ton of chances. So so that sort of thing, I can see some potential there. If you do bring these guys in, if they do coach as well as Rusty has, uh, and he not only that, but he, he was also an incredibly dominant player in, in the minor league cricket. But um if that if it goes according to that then 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 that shows some promise it is that energizing the young players because finally they're on a radar somewhere they're not just playing to compare notes with their friends like it's it's you can see what they did you know uh it's right there for you to see right along everyone else's name so so that's a great thing for the young players i think it's especially good for the young players but it's only good for the young players if they mandate a u21 uh inclusion and not just inclusion chances there were some teams they they would play a guy and they would they would just he'd be the token u21 player in the team and he wouldn't bowler bowler bat there were teams that literally did that every game and so i i'm hoping that they kind of crack down on that i think they will in the future but i i didn't understand why why it wasn't in an exhibition season because the games don't everybody wanted to win every game but it, it's an exhibition season there was no trophy so uh, I don't know why they didn't already, but we'll we'll see. I, I think I think they will do it in the future. Nate, we hear a lot about people signing for the the minor league. You know, talking about Pabudu beforehand coaching in the minor league. When it's up and running, what will the minor league actually look at? You know, how long will it run? Because I think we get, we get we hear a lot of talks of these players signing and moving from South Africa and others looking to move to the states. You know, as the sort of base of the ace pyramid, what would a, a player be signing on to if they're moving to the, the States or indeed if they're a, a locally contracted player? Well, well, what I've heard is the, the players come over, the, the ones that have come over from the minor leagues, they, they're, they're signed to a coaching contract and they're going to play for their local minor league team wherever they set up shop. And a lot of them are coming here for various reasons. Uh, I, I've been told that, you know, in some cases they were coming over here anyways and they just kind of hooked up so the idea is that the uh, achieving the major league status as a player will be a total meritocracy that's what i've been told so the, the what they're saying is that the contract isn't for them to be major league players it's for them to come over be coaches minor league players help bring things along so obviously time will tell how that works out but uh yeah the the big thing is the coaching and and just talking with rusty theron and and people in california how at least he's done what looks like a very good job with the with the kids and he's worked really hard and um i i you can see the progress of the players out there so there is some there is already some some of that showing through as as working but I mean, j- you know this just just because you're a great player or just because you achieve a lot as a player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach either. So um it's they are here as coaches from from what I'm being told uh but we will see how how that works. I obviously it'll work out better in some places than others. And the format of the actual league when it's up and running how how long is it going to run? Yeah, the the league will run the entire summer. Minor league will the major league itself is scheduled to run at the end of summer, starting in 2022. And I don't know how that's going to c- 
compete with CPL or how, how they're going to plant it around CPL. Um, but that's usually CPL's sweet spot is, is, is the Northern Hemisphere summer, late summer. Uh, but yeah, the minor league will happen on weekends. It's, it's just a weekend league. And I think that's, if you're going to pl- pay the players, you know, not very much money, you kind of have to do a weekend league so that they can have another job. So yeah, every Saturday and Sunday and, and, um, you know, I have some friends in my local league who are like, hey, I got two or three minor league guys on my on my club team. I'm like, they're not going to be able to play because they'll be playing every weekend in the minor league. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, literally every single weekend they've got games. So that's that's what it's going to look like. So it sounds a bit like a hybrid between uh, grade cricket and sort of uh, a team for like a state or even like a second 11 for um for county where it's not quite pro you know only play on the weekends but um they're gonna have to be flying around everywhere aren't they because these games aren't aren't regional they the the games will be regional in the regular season but within driving distance or are they all going to be there are there are some places where there it's going to be like seven eight hour drives to your closest team okay but in most of the places they're 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 close enough to drive within a few hours. The three Texas teams are all, I think, within about four hours or so of each other. And um, Morrisville's got a long drive anywhere it goes, that's for sure, because you the closest team's about six six hours away, seven hours away. So so that's them and Atlanta have, have kind of a long journey. But uh, for the most part, a lot of them are pretty close together. Okay, so almost I'm going to leave that sound like pro grade cricket. That's what it sounds like, you know, play on the weekends with some really long drives, um, but really going as teams. And I'm guessing wherever they go, if it's on a weekend, they're going to stay. They're going to have two games on a weekend at that one place, are they? And then come back on a Sunday night. Yep. Yeah. This summer, the way it worked is they kind of they would have like a tri seat. They would have like a trilateral or something. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to work that way in the future. But this for the for the exhibition this time, they just squeezed in as many as they could like that. So they'd have double headers and stuff. Sorry, you ju- and you talked about the membership portal because that's stuff that I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> I was yeah yeah the membership portal is it, it's going to provide. There was speculation about what it would and wouldn't provide, but it, it's actually going to provide a little bit of uh, insurance against accidents uh, for for the games. So a lot of American leagues or American uh, NGBs do do that. To, to get members to sign up and then they enforce it in the leagues in a lot of cases like in usa hockey for example there are plenty of rinks that they won't let you play unless you sign up for usa hockey so it's it looks like um usa cricket's doing something similar to that and but i, I don't think they're going to mandate that you join uh just yet at least Okay, guys, I think we've uh, we've more or less reached the end of our time for another week. Thanks a lot to Tim, as always, and to Nate for jumping on at the very last minute. Um, thanks for uh, yeah sh- sharing your time. I think it might be somewhere around 3.30 in the morning now. Yeah, 3.46. Oh, that, yeah. Thank you very much for making the efforts. Our good friend. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm I'm definitely fading, but uh, but I appreciate it. It's almost bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to you. Thanks to you for listening to the podcast. Uh, Remember to like and review the podcast. Or even better, tell a cricket-loving friend about us. And remember that for all the latest on Cricket's new world, follow Emerging Cricket on Twitter or Facebook. And check out our website at the three W's, emergingcricket.com.